As Philip shared in his words a little earlier, we are on a journey. We are journeying toward Easter, towards Resurrection Day. Our youth are journeying back from Waynesboro. And one of our staff members is on a journey today as well. Matthew Hensley and his wife Beth are down in North Carolina, and their journey is a full marathon today. So they're both runners, as you know. And one of, uh, So Matthew said, Pastor Bob, if you all would pray for me toward the latter part of the morning, I'd really appreciate it because he's, he's going to be on the last leg of that marathon as we are gathering today. So uh, in that way, you all would be lifting him up as we go through our worship time uh, today. Our sermon text is from the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah. I invite you to read with me chapter 31 and <clears throat> verses 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. If you've ever had to punish your children or grandchildren, if you have children or grandchildren, you'll appreciate this story. Walter Wengren is an author, he's a professor of literature, and he also happens to be a Lutheran pastor, and in one of his books he tells the story of how he tried to get his young son Matthew to stop stealing comic books from the local store. He had a serious problem with taking comic books, and you know, you can get in a lot of trouble, and that's shoplifting. He tried all sorts of different ways to keep his son from doing that, and nothing seemed to work. Finally, he, restored, he resorted to something that he never thought he would do, spanking. But he was so upset when he finished spanking his son that he left the room and he wept. And finally, he pulled himself together and went back into his son Matthew's room, Still, tearing, still, still tears pouring from his face, and gave his son a big old hug. A number of years later, Matthew and his mother were doing some reminiscing around the kitchen table, and Matthew happened to bring up the time when he was stealing comic books when he was a young boy. And he said to his mother, do you know why I finally stopped? And she said, sure. Your father spanked you. 
And he said, oh no. He said, it wasn't that. It was because dad cried. Wangren writes, love accomplished what law could not. He tried the thou shalt not steal, and it just didn't work. And he says, love accomplished what law could not. Tears were more powerful than Mount Sinai for his son. Today, our Old Testament passage points us to the work that God has done in Christ Jesus and helps us to understand that through grace, God accomplished what the law could not. We are in a season in our church where the themes of reflection and repentance are calling for our attention. We're thinking about our priorities, our habits, our relationship with God, our relationships with others. We have crossed the middle of the Lenten journey and now are anticipating Palm Sunday, next Sunday, where the waving of palm branches elicits the joy of the coming Messiah King. Holy Week just around the corner with the remembrance, intensity, passion, and the hope that it brings. Good Friday, the darkness of the Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday which blossoms anew with new life. Jeremiah's words remind us that these days are coming. He says, behold, these days are coming. And he's speaking of hopeful days. And these are indeed hopeful words which we need to hear. I've always treasured the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Back when I first came to seminary, my mom wrote me a letter. And in it she quoted Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And in turn, I've shared those with church members over the years. Sometimes it's a note of encouragement during a time of doubt that somebody is going through. Or maybe someone's a call, experiencing or trying to sense a call from God. And these words are helpful. Or sometimes it's just to help people see the innate goodness of God. That God does not desire to harm us, but rather to give us a hopeful future. God spoke to Jeremiah and told him to write those words and also the words that we have before us today. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11 is in the letter. And the words that we have before us today are also a letter. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and he really goes through a lot of suffering and despair. Lamentations is one of his writings as well. God asked him to write down words of judgment and punishment that God would bring upon Judah and Israel because of their continued disobedience. And in the midst of these hard words are written words that characterize the hopeful future that God had planned for the people. We find a lot of Lenten themes in the book of Jeremiah. Obviously the sin of the people, the call to repentance... And the necessity of judgment in the face of so many broken promises, the people over and over and over again would break God's commandments. But God would give them hopeful words for the future, words of redemption and salvation and a promising future. God instructed Jeremiah to write these words of hope that would sustain the people 
in the midst of their Babylonian captivity, in the midst of what they would experience, and that they would someday return to their land and prosper. This section of Jeremiah, chapter 31, is in a a larger part of Scripture, chapters 30 through 33, and scholars call it the letter of consolation or the book of consolation. So I would encourage you after today to go back and pull out your Bible and read Jeremiah 30 through 33, and you'll, you'll see the words of hope. They're right here in the center of the book. What we find in chapter 31 are some hopeful words of God's people. Hopeful words that say that judgment is not God's final word. God will judge us, but it is not His final word. And this is made very clear to the people in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 30, the beginning of this book of consolation. Hear these words. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to Jeremiah. Write in a book, hence the book of consolation, all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. Judgment is not God's final word. Yes, there would be 70 years of punishment and captivity, But God would deliver His people from Babylonian slavery and provide a new way for them to relate to God and to obey God's commands. God would initiate a new covenant with His people. It would not be written on tablets. It would be written on the human heart. It was to be internal rather than external. It would be based on relationship rather than rules and regulations. This new covenant would define the love and relationship, the love relationship between God and God's people. As Christians, we believe that this new covenant language in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, points us to the new covenant in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every time we gather on Sunday, the first Sunday of the month, to break bread together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we recall the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 11, where he says, this is the new covenant, this Lord's Supper, where Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you meet together, eat of this bread, drink of this cup, and when you do that, you proclaim the coming of the Son of Man. This defines the new covenant that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Someone, his son Jesus Christ, had to die to take all of the sins of humanity that there would be new life. Jesus said in John 12 that in order for there to be harvest, a seed has to die and then has to become something new and there is fruit produced. So this this is a word of hope for us as God's people. A word that says, and secondly, God promises to do what we can't do for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. God is the one who entered into that covenant to do just that. Let's read again verses 31 through 33. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make. See, that, that's, that's the key. God says, I will make the new covenant with the people of Israel. God is doing something brand new. 
And he makes it also with the people of Judah. The south and the north. Israel and Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. He's saying there's change coming. It's not like that one when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was like a husband to them, declares the Lord. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. The heart and mind, the seat of all the, uh, that existed in a person. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. This is the new covenant. And God did something that we could never do for ourselves. We are called to write God's covenant in our hearts. This is a transformative moment when someone accepts Jesus Christ as Savior and God adopts them into the family and they are, we are called children of God. The Old Testament reading here today from Jeremiah claims the true nature of God and His abundant love and everlasting care. And it says, uh, we understand that by writing God's nature on our hearts, we say that we belong to God, that we are His, that He owns us. And if, that's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. And uh, sometimes there's simple illustrations that can help us to connect with it. And I'm reminded of that movie from 1995, Toy Story. Children, do you all, uh, all remember the Toy Story movie? Raise your hand if you have seen the... Big children, too, if you've seen Toy Story. Andy is the boy in the story who owns all the toys. And when Andy is not around, all of the children, all of the, the, the toys talk and move about. They have their own little community. And he especially, Andy does, loves his cowboy Woody. And the story goes that on Andy's birthday, he receives an exciting new toy. Do you remember who he was? Say it out loud. Buzz Lightyear. And what did Buzz Lightyear say? To infinity and beyond. Right. So he has this brand new toy, Buzz Lightyear. Buzz is a space ranger, complete with a laser beam, a space helmet, and a means to communicate between the planets. And Buzz becomes Andy's favorite new toy over Woody. He even makes sure his name is written on the bottom of Buzz Lightyear's foot with permanent ink, like Miss Amanda talked about, a Sharpie pen. The Buzz Lightyear toy, while Andy is away, gets the impression that he himself is the real Buzz Lightyear rather than a toy like the rest of the community. But after a series of mishaps, he is brought to the reality that he is just a toy. Buzz gets a case of the blues. He is sad. And he no longer even cares about being a toy. This is when the original leader of all of the toys, Woody, comes to the rescue. Woody truly cares about all of the toys and understands each one's purpose. If you watch the movie, you see each one has a unique purpose, just like us. All of the community's toys are Andy's toys. They're there for Andy to play with and to enjoy. Andy's toys are special, and he loves every one of them just the same. Andy cares so much about all of his toys that he puts his name on each one. And Woody shows Buzz that both Woody and Buzz have the mark of Andy on their feet. 
Woody shows Buzz that each toy is special, not because of what they can do, but just because they belong to Andy. They are Andy's toys. And I believe this little story helps us to see that we belong to God. That when God says, I will write my new covenant on their hearts, it is just like in the movie when Andy wrote his name on each one of the toys. It showed whose they were and that they were loved deeply. See, we belong to God. We have God's handwriting on our hearts to prove it. As children of God who inherit the fullness of all that God has to offer, we can say with certainty that these aspects of God's character are now internal. They are inseparable and they are unmovable parts of us. The nature of God, that nature of love, that part of our existence, part of our very being. And I believe the gospel lesson in chapter 12 that you heard read earlier says the same thing. It talks about a seed that falls in the ground. Unless it falls in the ground and dies, it can produce nothing. And this challenges the dominant way of thinking and defining success. See, we can't do anything outside of God's grace and love and being children of God. Real success is not visible and external. It's not a continual accumulation of stuff. Rather, it's measured internally by what is in our hearts or on our hearts and the actions of love and generosity that flow from within. These are hopeful words to God's people, you and me today. And we are reminded that grace, by grace, the past does not determine our future. I love these words in verse 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. That doesn't mean that we don't need teaching. But the point is that God is placing his love in their hearts and they will be able to relate directly to God. This is this new covenant that God has initiated with his people. There will be a a sense of just uh, what we find, I believe, in the book of Ecclesiastes, that God has created eternity, has placed it in the human heart, that we will have this desire to know God and somebody else won't have to prompt us, that we will have this sense that we are created and loved. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. In Christ Jesus, our sins are forgiven. They are cast into the depths of the sea of forgiveness. And God will not continue to bring our past up and hold it against us. We are forgiven once and for all. I'm reminded of what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All things are made new. Our past does not have to determine our future. Often our past can cloud our future. We cannot see the future that God has in for us or desires for us because of things like our past sins or guilty feelings or feeling shamed. And shame is something that someone else causes us to feel about ourselves. 
we might feel guilty about something we've done, but shame is when someone else makes us feel bad about who we are as a person, and that can cloud our vision for a hopeful future. Sometimes we go through seasons of anxiety or experience depression, and those things can cloud our ability to see a hopeful future that God has for us. But the new covenant in Christ Jesus points to a promise that those things do not have to determine our destiny. I like what the poem, the poet Ralph Waldo Emerson writes. Write it on your heart every day that every day is the best day in the year. He is rich who owns the day, and no one owns the day who allows it to be invaded with fret and anxiety. Finish every day and be done with it. You have done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities for sure, no doubt, crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. Begin it well and serenely. With too high a spirit to be cumbered with your old nonsense. This new day is too dear with its hopes and invitations to waste a moment on the yesterdays. God has a hopeful future for us. God's words for, hopeful words for God's people remind us that this new covenant frees us to choose that way of living, to choose new ways of living, to have, to desire a hopeful future. Chapters 32 and 33 of this little book of consolation point us to a renewed hope. Here are a few selected verses. Chapter 32, verse 38, they will be my people and I will be their God. Verse 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me or revere me so that they will never want to run away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. And then in verse in chapter 33, verses 14 and following, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill this good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. And that points us to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Choose hope. Choose a new way of living in this new covenant. Several years ago, a teacher volunteered to do tutoring in the hospital. She would call and they would assign a student who would be in the hospital for a long term and she would work with them. One day the phone rang and she received her assignment and got the room number and the little boy's name and was told by the boy's teacher that he was studying nouns and adverbs in his English class before he was hospitalized. So that's where she would pick up when she would work with him. And it was not until she got to the unit to find his room that she saw that he was in the burn unit at this large urban hospital, much like the burn unit at VCU. She was prepared, certainly, to teach him English grammar, but she was not prepared to experience what she saw and to see a little boy at that age suffering so much. She wanted to 
turn around and let somebody else take that responsibility. But she knew she couldn't just walk away. So she clumsily stammered over to his bedside and told him that she was there, um, the hospital uh, teacher and your teacher helped me to come help you learn nouns and adverbs. The next morning, a nurse from the hospital on the unit spoke to the teacher when she arrived to do her tutoring for that day, and she said, what did you do to him? And the teacher thought, oh my, what did I do wrong? And before she could say a word of apology, the nurse said, no, you don't understand. We've been really worried about him. In the last several days, he's been deteriorating because he had completely given up hope. But ever since you were here yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting and he's responding to treatment. It's though uh, he decided to live. When the nurse later questioned the boy about the change that had gone on just in one day, he said this, quote, I figured I was doomed that I was going to die until I saw that teacher. And as a tear began to come down his face, he finished, but when I saw her, I realized that they wouldn't send a teacher to teach a dying boy about nouns and adverbs, would they? He had a renewed hope. And this is the kind of renewed hope that God desires for us to have no matter what we experience in this life. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of God's promises. Promises that God has made and promises that God has kept and will keep. In chapter 10, verse 10 and following, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifices of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is the new covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. And the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to the covenant mentioned in Jeremiah. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are thankful that in Christ Jesus, grace has accomplished what the law could not. That you loved us so much that you entered into a new way of relating to human beings. And that you would come in the form of a person, the person of Jesus Christ, and willingly experience the shame and scorn of the cross taking the sins of humanity upon yourself, defeating death, defeating sin once and for all, experiencing the cruelty of the cross, the darkness of Saturday, and then revealing hope, resurrection, and new life on Sunday. Lord, help us to claim that new life that is available through the new covenant of Jesus Christ, where all things can be made new. The old is gone, the new has come.
In Jesus' name we pray.